0: Welcome to Business Done Differently, where baseball team owner turned showman Jesse Cole speaks with successful entrepreneurs who stand out in business and in life by thinking differently and challenging the status quo. We believe whatever is normal, do the exact opposite, and that normal gets normal results. If you want to stand out and be different, this one's for you.
1: Today on Business Done Differently, we may have the top expert on culture and employee experience. Robert Glazer is the founder and CEO of Acceleration Partners, and his company has won almost every award when it comes to workplace culture. From AdAge's best place to work, Entrepreneur's top company culture, to Inc. Magazine's best place to work, to Fortune's best workplace, you name it, Robert's company has achieved it. He was even named to Glassdoor's list of top CEOs of small and medium companies in the U.S., ranking number two. Robert is another NMT alumni I met this past fall, and I'm pumped to learn some of the secrets today. Welcome to the show, my man. Thanks, Jesse. I'm excited, Robert, to talk because, I mean, you obviously are putting a ton of content out there, learning about what your company's doing. But I want to know a little bit of the backstory. How did you get to where you are and become so fascinated and obsessed with company culture?
2: It's a good question. I'm not sure where exactly it happened. I think, actually, it happened about... Six or seven years ago, when we got to a million in revenue and we just got to this fork where I was doing everything, it sort of had, had reached the capacity of what I could do. And I was kind of at this fork where I either had to build the company or kind of considered, continue doing what I wanted to do. And I had had a few bad coming off particularly bad company cultural experiences. And so I just saw like a big company or a bigger company is inevitably having all this politics and process and stuff that like I didn't like or want to do and maybe there's a little fear there as well if I could do it. And what happened? I just made the commitment that if I was going to build a company, I was going to build a company that like I wanted to work for every day and like kind of break every rule and that culture which I didn't even believe in initially because I just what I thought of culture was what I saw written on the walls of all these companies that didn't act that way. And then I had some real revelations as what real culture looked like. And then I said, this is kind of what I want. I want to define what I want to do. And I want to recruit like-minded people. And I want to say what we do and do what we say and just be authentic and transparent. And one of the things that I talk about a lot is I think there's some things that we think are absolutes around good culture, like treating people nicely, paying people well, some aspects of benefits. But I think great cultures could be really, really different. And one could be Like one person in one company could hate another company, but it's really about those companies being authentic and consistent and saying who they are and then recruiting people that want to go on that that journey with
1: them. Yeah, it's it's hiring people that believe what you believe. When you get everyone believing the same thing, you move in the same direction. But I I think, Robert, what I love that you said, hey, you said break every rule. You know, as soon as anybody says break the rules to the guy in the yellow tux that's trying to break the rules of baseball <laughs> that might, my, my, yeah. you know, I light up. And then you said, a place that I want to work for or I want to work. And I thought that's brilliant because just create a place that you want to be. And so I really want to get into some of these practical things. Like, what does that look like for you? What have you created that's either breaking the rules or a place that you want to work at?
2: Yeah, so the first thing is we don't have any offices. So I think we're probably one of the largest distributed or remote companies in the U.S. right now, particularly who's winning those sort of culture awards. And we've done that in a little bit a different way. We pursue a hybrid model. So we hire people around geographies or hubs or cities our people may want to work from home on a day-to-day basis, but they want to get together, they want to interact. And we find that it's important to interview people and hiring people everywhere was just too hard. This allows us to get our company together, go to meetings. So that that was one of the things was sort of distributed work and letting people really have flexibility and autonomy. The second was we started something around sort of pay for day one, promote when ready, which was A lot of companies make a huge mistake of like bringing in someone who's got a lot of experience, putting them in a role, hoping that they'll grow up into that role. And then you find out a lot of times they're not ready or they need more time or the person that you have already have now is making 30% less (laughs) than that person you just brought in who's got all this extra capacity and it gets really awkward. So we look for people that would bet on themselves. We said, look, we'll promote you as soon as you're ready, but you get paid for the job you can do on day one. All of that extra stuff that you have should come into play. But if you're doing the same job, we got to pay you the same amount. That was the second one. So and I got to third- stop you there. I gotta, yeah, sorry, that's fascinating. Go ahead. You.
1: So you pay for day one. So does that mean everyone that starts with you starts at the same pay?
2: No, everyone who starts at the same role starts at the same. Hey, so, so let me give you an example because I just I've seen this movie play out time time again. So let's say we have different level of account managers, and let's say that we have like a junior account manager and they're paid ten dollars, a senior account or ten thousand dollars a year, and then a senior account manager is paid twelve thousand dollars a year. A lot of times we would bring in a senior account manager uh, from another company wasn't really up to speed on our business, so we'd bring them in at that twelve thousand dollars, but they really had to start at that account manager role because even though they were senior, they had to kind of learn our system in our way. And some of them were great and they'd step up into that role and it was great. And others, like we'd find out after six months, they really, even though they we were senior account manager somewhere else, they were just an account manager here and they weren't ready for the next step. And now we literally would have them at a higher level than an account manager that we had. And we didn't like that imbalance. We wouldn't want to say to someone, wow, this person's not even better than you and they're being paid more than you. So we tend to bring in people a rung down from where they are externally because so they can get used to our environment but look if they're a rock star and in two weeks they can manage 10 people and do all that like then we push them right up but it is like anything in life it is better to push people up than almost every situation where the person has come in too high it's really hard to un, unravel that
1: 100 so basically every role has a pay but then you can get promoted to higher roles that have higher pay
2: correct it has a band a lot of times you think about a company, they bring in Bill, and Bill is this super senior guy that has all this managerial experience. So they bring him in because he has all this stuff, and then he doesn't use it, <laughs> or it's not in play. And Bill ends up doing the exact same job as Mary, except he's paid 40% more. Then you have yourself in this like rut. So our belief is if you have all these extra skills and capacity and talent, then that should shine through. And then eventually you'll leverage that to move ahead. But we don't want different people being paid different amounts who are doing the same job.
1: Makes sense. All right. I need to get clear because that's so interesting because you could think like no matter what, everyone, they kind of know where they are. So I'm sure does everyone on your staff know what their salary is?
2: So we are open book on everything. Our salaries are not open book because I think there's some... Complexities that come along with that. But we have prescribed bands and we have ranges and we have different ways that people can move up. What I always say to people is if someone exposed all of our salaries, nothing would surprise anyone. But we just find that like that we're open book down a PL level. But I know some companies do salaries. I just think there's a little more complexity and some other kind of privacy issues that go along with that. Okay.
1: All right. I cut you off, but some other the ways you're breaking the rules. I mean, we could get into this now because I think it's so fascinating. The granting the wishes to employees instead of year-end bonuses. Tell me about that, how that started, and what's happened because of it.
2: Yeah, I had heard about this program from some great entrepreneurs. A guy named John Ratliff had started it as sort of a dream-on program. He had run these call centers and had used sort of a dream box and granting wishes to lower the turnover rate from about 50% to 10% and was able to buy a bunch of call centers and sell the business for a ton of money because he just was able to get a culture and a call center business that no one could. And we, we tried to adapt that to our business. Last year was our 10th anniversary. We always tie our AP annual sub. But even though we're remote, we fly everyone from around the entire world together for three to four days once a year. We did some exercises around goal setting, which was tied to the theme around what people wanted to get done that year and what they wanted in life. And we did a whole session around that. And I had asked people to submit to me their sort of top five goals for that session. What I didn't tell them was that I was going to use that data and for our 10th anniversary, pick 10 of those things and and try to grant them. And I had done some research and worked in the background for a few weeks. It was pretty stressful, actually. (laughs) Um, And headed up because some of them weren't figured out like heading up into that night. And then after our award ceremony that night, we had sort of of like a, one more thing and did that. And the reaction was just amazing, both from the people that received them and other people. And so I decided to repeat it again the next year, but we had a totally different theme for our retreat, which was about relationships. And I got some similar information from people on relationships that they wanted to grow or fix or repair and, and was able to do it again. In the context of relationships, it was even a little more emotional that night. I mean, it was a really just powerful night. And I think in terms of the impact that that could have versus giving someone 500 or $1,000, which is finding out something that's really important to them, helping to make that happen and having the company do that, it's really part of our goal to have a culture that's based on intrinsic motivation and growing our team holistically. Like our belief and, and my belief is that if we can just help our people get better in all aspects of their lives, then we'll get the business benefit of that and they'll get, their families will get, they'll get, their kids will get the the impact of that. Outside of work, I think people are the same. If you're stressed and exhausted and whatever at home, then you're going to be those things at work. So we do a lot of training about our business, but a lot of our training is on improving your health, your discipline, your emotional resistance, and all these things that we think are holistic. To just being a higher achieving person.
1: No, a thousand percent. The same thing here with fans first. As I was sharing before, you know, when we surprised our fans first director with her bucket list trip to Ireland and she's taking her dad, the emotions that came from that because you're creating some amazing yeah. memories. And it's not cheap but it's something they'll never forget and you know I thought it was brilliant you were talking about the relationships it's not just creating this wish a lot of times it's a wish with somebody and so can you share just a little a few of the things that you were able to give to your people and and the impact that it made
2: sure so last year on the sort of goal setting and kind of top things they want to achieve for life it went to a range so one person wanted to teach a class at a business school and I was able to arrange that for her again a lot of these don't cost anything we were able to use some points and stuff on travel Someone else last year talked about wanting to go to Copenhagen with his wife, and he had just started working with us like a month before, but wrote a really interesting thing about why that was personal to him. We had someone whose dream was to fly, so we got him some pilot lessons. And then this year, when we got into the relationship stuff, it was a little deeper. Someone had talked about her daughter only meeting her, her 90-year-old grandmother in, in Greece one time, and that she felt bad while their health was still good. She really wanted them to have a relationship, so we sent sending her and her daughter to Greece. Some other people, just some long lost friends. One person even had a, a brother that they found out that they didn't know they had, and so we hired a private investigator to help her find her brother. Mm, it's amazing,
1: Robert. It, it seems so simple when you think about it. As a CEO, as a president, as an owner of a company, it's creating these moments because they matter so much to the people, and it's not just the day in work. And you understood that, but obviously, there's so much that goes into the business that you have to make sure that they're successful. And, and the reason you're winning Best Place to Work. What are some other unique things that you're breaking the rules with that that are making your people feel amazing?
2: Yeah, so one of our other programs, which may seem kind of weird, we have this program called Mindful Transition that we launched. We were determined. I just had too many conversations with people who had great cultures that were just frustrated with the whole two-week notice paradigm, where they either got two weeks' notice from someone or decided that they had reached their wits' end with someone and reached two weeks' notice. And and a few years ago, we did this experiment with someone who was struggling and we realized he needed to do something else. We kind of call him patient X. And we let him continue to work with us while he looked for a job. And we're in client service. So turnovers really is disruptive. And we just knew we needed to do something else. So we said, look, we're not going to do this performance improvement plan thing. It's time for you to find a new job. We'll help you do that. We'll give you resources. You can interview, but you'll continue to work over the next 90 days. And it just It really worked well. And then we built that into this program Of that starts with this foundation of psychological safety and having people being willing to talk about any problem and understand that if they want to leave, we will not walk them to the door. We have this open transition program. We've done it with a fair amount of people at this point, and we will help them find their next job if it's not right here anymore and give them time to do that. And we have kind of a whole system we built around that. And it's really taken out a lot of the surprise. It's taken out a lot of the uncomfortableness and bad endings that ruin the great work that people do. And it's allowed us to have a an awesome and productive alumni group out there who says, look, my time ran out there or it wasn't the right thing anymore, but I had a great experience. They helped me. The CEO wrote me a reference. It's just, it's so much better than Lying and dodging and doctor's appointments like people aren't going to work somewhere forever anymore. That era is over, but we're still sort of running the playbook from that era in terms of how people leave the company. And we just don't think it makes sense anymore. So I've been speaking more on that. That's actually my third book is going to be on that. And it's something I'm really passionate about helping other companies to implement because I think it's, it's long past due that we got rid of two weeks notice.
1: Yeah. So if you were to kind of simplify how to implement that, you know, Robert, we just had our first turnover in three years and we have a company of all millennials and we had zero voluntary turnover for three years. We just had four leave us and it hit us like a dagger. We weren't ready for it. And so how would you train a leader? If you were to simplify, what can they do to help uh, prepare for that happening and the next steps and still growing? Because when you lose people, a lot of times it can hurt culture. People, they're like, whoa. Yeah,
2: it, look, and yeah. it hurts the culture and the fact that – so I always use an analogy when I when I give this speech that says, hey, if, if your wife or partner or husband or whatever it is came to you and said, you know, um, I'm actually moving in two weeks and I, I found a new partner and I'm living in a new place and I have a new family, you'd be like – what the hell? Yes. And, and how come we didn't talk? But because everyone is afraid to talk about these things because of the repercussions of being told to leave, they don't. And so even a great employee just wants to do something different, run their course. They start having doctor's appointments and lying. And, and it just the end of that relationship leaves a bad taste in everyone's mouth and it sort of can obfuscate a lot of the great work. I can give you a link I can share with listeners after on sort of a speech I did that had some of the presentation and some notes, but it starts with taking it off the table, creating a culture of psychological safety and saying, look, when and if you want to leave or you're having a problem or we have a problem, like, please bring it up and we'll talk about it. No one will ask you to leave. You will not be asked to leave, but let's start the discussion because maybe we can help you. Maybe you need a different job here. Maybe you want to do something different, but basically that if you're looking for a job and you haven't told us, then, sort of, that's on you and you're violating our code. So long as we have done what we've said we're going to do and not in any way, if you bring up wanting to have this discussion, saying to you, okay, then you should leave. So it took us a while. But first, the company has to really implement this top down. And then the people have to buy in and want to have those discussions. And then once you go through some cycles and people hear about it and they understand, and look, you might have someone come to you and they want to do a perfect example. They want to do something that you don't have now, but you're going to have in six months. So they start looking elsewhere. Well, if they had that discussion with you and you can learn to not get upset about having that discussion, not taking it personally, you can say, look, I'm going to have this operations role in six months. Can you hang out in this for a few more months and then we'll transfer into that? And then boom, you know, they're not looking for a job elsewhere. So you can do the exit interview. You can talk to all those people and find out what they leave. And, and you could have actually probably known all of that. They could have had that discussion with you. They could have told you what they want to do. You could have been more prepared. Everyone could have left on a better note. And even if they wanted to go back to school or do something different or switch careers, you you could have supported that rather than just not knowing about it I tell everyone i just don't think everyone has made this assumption that ignorance is bliss or that like the devil you know is is worse than the devil you don't know i, I don't think that's the case I think we can handle anything similar to kind of like a relationship consultant would tell you if people are willing to have an honest discussion and can do that safely
1: it's brilliant because I'm sitting here thinking oh wow well, if I go to our people you know hey when you want to leave it's almost like being so vulnerable and like You know, you should think about leaving, you know, and but it's not that it's it's again caring more for people than caring for them as employees. You care more for them as the person they are, not just for what they can do for your business. And I think, yeah, and
2: and, and, right, there's some powerful psychological things that go on uh, some theories I talk about and cognitive dissonance, which is. When someone goes to leave, you have a hard time separating the person and the fact that they're leaving. So your brain starts to kind of make them into a bad person rather than they've come to you and they said, look, I just I really want to do something different. And you say, OK, that's great. Like, let's work on a plan. How about we help you find a replacement? It just it changes the conversation versus them feeling like they can't tell you that. They got to lie. They start looking around. Look, we're now at the point where if someone is interviewing for a job and hasn't told us about it, that's sort of a major violation of our cultural values. I will give anyone a reference. I will, for anyone that worked here or whatever. But if after we talk about this 10 times, one of our core values is own it. You couldn't have that discussion and did all these things anyway. Like your trust is sort of broken with us at that point, because we tell people about this on the first day. Like this is how you leave acceleration partners. I would say it's similar to like when you start a business, like with a partner, a great attorney, figures out how you're going to dissolve the business if it doesn't go right. So that if it comes to that point, it's not a disaster. So we say, look, this is a great thing. We're going to tell you that if this doesn't work out or three years or whatever, here's how people leave Acceleration Partners. And we think it's productive. And we want you to know that now so we can just get that on the table.
1: You know, this is probably the most valuable stuff, Rob, because, you know, I'm thinking about the four people that left. I think they had fear of telling us because no one had left our company. And it was like, you know, this is the fans first company. We don't do this. They had fear. And I think business owners probably have the biggest fear of their people leaving. But if you trump this fear, if you get rid of this fear in the beginning and talk about over, then of course you can create. I mean, that's probably the most practical advice you could give everyone. You eliminate the biggest fear, which employers have of their people leaving. And then the people have of not liking their job, not wanting and having to leave behind the scenes. You eliminate that. Then you can just go about your business.
2: Right, and just imagine that great employee that you had forever, that you invested in and whatever, and then suddenly they're not around, and a doctor's appointment, a doctor's appointment, and they tell you that they're leaving, and it's two weeks' notice, and they think that's a good amount of time because they're probably convinced you're going to tell them to leave anyway, and then you're like, two weeks, you're leaving me. It's just that three to four to five years of great work is all left with this tainted ending versus like hey you want to do something different we don't have it like use me as a reference like tell me when you're interviewing i mean probably for those six months that they were looking and not engaged and, and had the stress out of that you could have gotten better work out of them oh
1: 100 and they would be happier they wouldn't be feel like they're deceiving anybody and it's that awkward conversation i love yeah. that's so proud all right p- you p- know, p-
2: I- just on one point on that yeah. The employees deceive because that is what they have been trained to do because they believe that that is what the system is modeled. And anyone who's ever getting notice at a company and has been told, oh, just leave today or just leave next week or whatever, it just totally validates that. So when employees see that, they go, oh, have to lie. That's what we do. We don't talk about this stuff. And then that's the behavior that they follow. No, I absolutely love it.
1: All right, I am still a sucker for stories. Is there any other unique stories or things that you guys, from either the hiring process, the onboarding, do you do staff meetings differently? Obviously, it's different. You're a remote company, which is just fascinating that you're winning these awards in remote. But any other yeah. unique stories or things you're doing, a part of the process that entrepreneurs can take from you guys?
2: Um, we also started a thing of paying people who go on vacation and don't check in at all we reimburse them if they basically stay offline while they're on vacation there's a couple of reasons why we did that one it's it's much better for them to really step out and two we don't want things that are designed around people we want sort of systems and processes and so if that person has designed everything to go through them then they're then they're really not a good leader or teammate and so it actually forces people to set up the right systems, processes, escalation paths. It creates better systems. And so we found that to be a great win-win that says, look, if you, we have different reimbursement levels depending on level. But basically, we'll pay for part of your vacation if you really take it and go refresh. But if you also didn't leave everything so it needed you while you were gone, then we're better off as a, as a business. Mm, I love that.
1: Uh, Robert, I have a question on purpose Obviously, you are putting out unbelievable uh, content every week. you got a book coming out. You feel like you're the one that's uh, – well, you don't, but the reality is you're getting a lot of the praise. And I realized this as I was speaking at an event this past week. People are coming up and praising me. I'm getting to feel the purpose of what I'm doing, yet our people aren't feeling that. What are you doing to make your people feel purpose in what they're doing?
2: Well, it's it's A, connecting them to the mission – we also give them a lot of that opportunity. Obviously, I think the CEO of a company tends to be in the media more or 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 more visible. We are constantly giving people chances to step up and lead out of their comfort zone where they want to do that. I am champion of anyone who says, "Hey, I want to go speak at that event. I want to do this." We say, "How can we how can we support you?" So, it's it's part of our core value of excel and improve, where we think that part of part of excellence is improvement. And so we are constantly pushing people to do things and take responsibility and to step up. Look, I would be thrilled if no one wanted to talk to me. <laughs> they said, no, no, we don't want to talk to you. We want to talk to Jessica. She's really, the, she's really the one that we want to talk to. But look, I think the reality is a lot of that stuff flows through the leader, but we are growing lots of leaders. And I, there's nothing I enjoy more than watching them speak and write and, and start to kind of build out their own thought leadership.
1: And I'm so into that. I'm just wondering, how is there ways to do it? Because you know, obviously remote – You have to be able to celebrate. How are you guys celebrating where it's not just, hey, you're feeling all the credit. Are there other things that you guys are actually doing?
2: Yeah, we have a weekly all-video conference call on Zoom. It's kind of like the Brady Bunch on steroids. (laughs) Uh, and, And when we go through that, we celebrate core value wins. We celebrate company wins. We call out people. Everyone's fairly engaged on that through video. We reinforce our core values everywhere. We have these end-of-the-year awards. We also, as I mentioned, we do this summit thing where we get together for four days. It's a pretty deep retreat style thing where we are we are doing a lot of stuff together talking about the year celebrating our wins doing a lot of team building Um, so we're people actually say that of all the companies they've been at they find that they are more connected to their peers here because the virtual distributed nature forces us to not leave anything to chance like we we script out two full weeks of onboarding when you start which calls you're going to be on which trainings a lot of times i've been at jobs where they're like oh bob's Bob's here today wow someone get him a computer and tell him to go listen to ted that's sort of what onboarding is i think actually because of our distributed nature it forces us to be a lot more intentional about things we buddy people up we have uh coaching groups we have peer groups there's a lot of interaction. Mm,
1: I love it. That's so it's so smart because the reality is you're not around each other, so you have to go all the way, but almost, it's. I think every company should almost envision that they are not around each other and how can they get them connected, even if they do work, because you take it for granted. You're around each other all day, but you're not really necessarily as connected because it's not scripted out. It's not planned. It's not intentional.
2: Yeah, I will put our onboarding process up against companies that are 10 times bigger than us. It is very thought out. It leaves nothing to chance. And exactly what you said, I I think because we know that that is harder, that you can't learn by osmosis, it forces us to be intentional. And I think that's true for a lot of our systems. But remember, the core of our people are in client service. And I always say it's a little like the Navy SEALs, like we're this organization that has a mission and a philosophy and values. But then you're out kind of in battle with your six or eight people regularly. And those teams are on video calls with each other all day long. They're traveling to clients. They're going to conferences. They actually spend a lot of time with each other. And in any company, I think 80% of your interaction tends to be with your direct team. So those teams also do have a whole layer of, of sort of interaction with each other. Nice. You, you
1: mentioned the two-week onboarding. We've turned it into... About five immersive days. But what are some of the, you mentioned the, you scripted out, you do buddy people up there, are there some unique parts of your onboarding?
2: Yeah, it's sort of a combination of learning and doing. We've built a learning management system out. Anything we've ever done, we've recorded. There's modules you can take, a lot of it you can take online and a quiz and sort of pass. That's also allowed more flexibility, which is great because we had, you know, the same person doing the same training over and over again. And now we've turned a lot of that into online training. So I had someone on my team who started last week and he's doing a combination of like real calls online training, going to meetings. Like over the first two weeks, he's really just getting a full cycle sample of anything. We actually went to a conference on his first day of work that was around that. We try to bring people to something quickly too, but we're client service. So part of that is our teams are out meeting with clients at the client. No one wants to kind of fly. Even if we had a monolithic office somewhere, our clients are all over the country and even the world as we've expanded, like they're not going to come fly to meet with us. We'd Mm -hmm. rather fly to meet with them. And I think that's... Very true for most sort of consulting or professional services organizations. I love it.
1: Uh, before we pivot into a little bit of personal, because you are a, a content machine out there, uh, Robert, is, is, <laughs> is there any other uh, unique stories that really could resonate with some of your people that you share? And when you win these awards, I know it's it's not just the details. There's probably some stories that make an impact.
2: Is a lot of the little things that we do. One of the other things we're doing is building a, like a leadership program right now. I think for a company our size, the rate that we're investing in in leadership development and building leaders is really key. We have a book club with our leadership team where we read one book a quarter and we go through it. Again, ties really back to our values of just learning, getting better, growing together. We probably have a ton of (laughs) other nuanced little things that we do. I mean, all alignment. Our awards at the end of the year at the summit are the core value awards and they're voted on by your peers. So you literally win the own it, embrace relationship, excel and improve award. Um, Again, we're really reinforcing those things in terms of how we want people to behave and what kind of things, what we're looking for in terms of our value set. I love it.
1: All right. Before we go into some of the personal, I'll let you, I've been grilling you on your culture. So we're going to flip the script here. All right. (laughs) So you are now the host of business done differently, Robert, you can ask me anything.
2: I can ask you anything. Let's see. So do you wear the banana outfit, the yellow banana outfit everywhere? (laughs) Get a lot of yellow tux questions. I own seven of them. Well,
1: literally started as part of the show at our stadiums, I bought it for brightcoloredtuxedos.com in 2011, has now become more of my call card. I wear it now everywhere I go. Every speech that I make, I wear it every day. My wife is still married to me, the fact that I still wear it all the time. Yeah, you saw me in one rare occurrence down at MMT where I did not wear it, but I'll tell you, next MMT, I will be wearing it. But it is, it is my thing so I believe everyone uh, should stand out. Everyone has something that makes them stand out, and it's the best version of themselves. And obviously, with the bananas here and our team, dancing players and breakdancing first base coaches and giving away porta johns at games and everything we do,
2: it's about being different. So, yes, I rock it all the time. Yeah. So what's your favorite sort of cultural tradition for your organization?
1: Well, I mean, we really started to pride ourselves on mapping the experience for our people, like literally mapping, just like our customers, where we go all out and have the band meeting fans when they're coming out. We call every fan and thank them. We send a funny email when they buy tickets. It's why we've been fortunate to sell at every game. But the reality is now with our people... We do the same thing. We imagine what that perfect first day is. We had a guy start with us last week, comes in, we're playing the best day of your life. He walks in, we're silly stringing, we're celebrating, we're putting lays on him. Then we have his perfect breakfast with his favorite food items and celebrate. And then at at the end of the day, we have a big toast and we put his picture on the wall and we gave him a gift. He's a young man and his favorite drink was Jack Daniels. We gave him a bottle of Jack and we celebrated. And it's all about mapping. What does that look like? So it's become a tradition and What we do now is we try to find out what are those special moments, those bucket list moments that we can surprise them with. As I shared a few before, the Ireland trip, uh, our videographer, two tickets, VIP, meet and greet with Kiss, one of his favorite bands on their last tour. We look for those moments because that's what matters most. So you got me going there. And,
2: and, you know, if they came from a poor culture and this is their first day at work, like they're they're never leaving you.
1: (laughs) But when they do leave, which, like I said... We actually, the last day we had some people leave, we plan a huge celebration. Every single person on our staff writes a thank you letter or a letter to them with a memory, how much they meant to them. We'll read them out loud. Then we'll give them a a picture frame with all their best moments, their celebrations, their accomplishments. And then we produce a video because we video everything with us. So we have everything on tape. So our video art produces a full video with all their highlights, best moments, and we show that to them and have a celebration because we want them to never forget their last day with us as well.
2: Yeah, so the Mindful Transition program just dovetails perfect into that because you're already helping them and treating them really well out the door, and you're going to have this incredible alumni group, the ability to say, look, I love what you did here. And if you want to go do something else, like it's not about right, it's not about me. It's about you. And I get it.
1: I love that. So the alumni group, we haven't really started that. Tell me what that looks like for you. How do you facilitate that?
2: It's not as much of a formal thing, but just when I say like, to me, when you have an alumni, it's someone who leaves, but who, you know, McKinsey's always been great at this. When you want to leave, they train you and they help you and they realize that people go on to hire McKinsey. So we just treat them, you know, we invite them to our events. We'll catch up with them if we're in cities. They are people that we will talk to and communicate to versus a lot of companies. I think the day you leave is the last time the company ever, ever mm. speaks to you. To me, the definition of alumni who's just someone who's productive and engaged and sharing positive juju about your company in the marketplace.
1: But, yeah, we're, we're starting an intern because we have interns, a group of 10 interns. We have an intern Facebook group that are all interns with us. But I think even the full-time alumni, how do we bring them together? I think if, if companies have enough pride or have too much pride where they can't actually care about the group that leaves them, they're leaving a lot of great opportunities to make an impact down the road. So that's awesome. All right. I want to go to some rapid fire, Robert. I told you I bounce around. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. And, I, right.
2: and I also bounce around. So All right, good, good. Answer. Yeah.
1: Well, that's most, pretty much every entrepreneur that bounces around. Like, that's yes. what we do. Just quickly explain some of these things. I, I noticed some of your work. Whole Life Dashboard.
2: Yeah. So it was a tool that I built that mimicked a lot of business tools to sort of create personal alignment from Thinking through your core values, your three, five, one, 10-year goals, your quarterly objectives, what you should do today, kind of mapping all that all out so that it's tied to a positive morning routine so that every morning you could sit down and kind of go over that and figure out what do I need to do today that does what I of gets me where i need to go in the quarter which is taking a look at my making those decisions align my value and then get done your what you need to get done that year i really believe in the concept of alignment it's one of the most powerful things and this is just a small tool to spend every day kind of recalibrating yourself to figure out what's the most important things i can do today based on looking at what i said was most important to me in my life this quarter this year or in the next 10 years
1: and you keep it in front of you every day
2: yeah, I, I have a couple of different sort of versions, but I usually open up as part of my morning routine, kind of go through it. And that's how I pick the three things that need to get done that day, because I go through what I said need to get done that quarter, and I go through what I wanted to get done that year, and I look back at my core values, and I say, well, I was thinking about X, but I'm looking at this value again, and it doesn't feel aligned. So it's just this kind of recentering exercise as part of kind of a morning routine.
1: Love it. How does that lead into your theories on the domino effect?
2: It leads in my theory that you can get anything done. So the domino effect would say that each domino can knock over a domino that's 50% bigger than it. So it would take something like only like 30-something dominoes to knock over the, I think, Empire State Building if they are really all 50% bigger. I think that people can get done extraordinary things that they don't think possible sooner than they can if they just pick the right things to focus on each day and each week make the down payments, move the energy in that direction, and then finally, that domino falls at the end of the quarter or it it falls at the end of the year. That's what high achievers do. I think other people sit there and they look at that mountain they have to climb and they stress about that mountain for -hmm. (laughs) for weeks and months and they never climb the mountain and the other guy's just taking three steps every day. Nine days later, he's three quarters of the way up the mountain. The biggest example for me, and look, this is something I learned myself, is writing a book. I mean, I talk to so many people who want to write a book. They want to write a book. They want to write a book. They talk. Talk about it. Like just write 10 minutes a day. Just start writing. Like if you, if you stress the thing about how you're going to write a book, if you get off Facebook for 20 minutes a day or Instagram in the morning, and in 20 minutes, you can usually get out about four or 500 words, you will have a book in two months. I mean, it'll have to be edited, but you'll have a book in two months versus all this looking at people's lunch and what they did overnight and stuff <laughs> that you'll never never remember. The energy that we use every day and small difference between people that elevate and high achievers and people who don't is not these massive things. I think it is this 1% difference in how they use their energy, time and discipline each day.
1: Love it. Another piece I loved you put out about world class, and I forget the name, but uh, it seems like you're trying to fulfill that. But you took a great lesson from a young woman. I think she was interviewed by maybe Tim Ferriss that you wrote a piece on.
2: Uh, yeah, Emory Couch. The story was that she grew up the daughter of, of an immigrant and was a fierce debater and, and, and went to Yale. And her father just always told her, and this is a Friday Four that, that people could Google, but always told her to just do everything world class. And she worked in the dean's office and did admin work and decided he talked to her the day she was going in. She's like, Dad, I'm like, a, <laughs> you know, I'm like an admin in the dean's office. He's like, I think you should think about it. So she decided she'd when she went to get donuts, she'd pick the hot ones and she'd make really good copies and she'd keep everything organized. And she would, do all this admin work the best that she could do. And one day when someone was out of the office, the dean, who she'd never really spoken to, grabbed her and said, hey, I, you know, I hear you do really good work. My friend's coming. Can you give him a tour today? And she ended up giving him a tour and a great tour. And he invited her to come meet with him during break. And she didn't know who he was. And it was Lou Platt, the CEO of, of HP. And that led to internships and all kinds of great things for her. So just Doing these small things well had a, had a ripple effect and almost really launched her career. Yeah,
1: you know, it's, it's a great teachable moment. I think about our janitor, Reginald, who does all the trash at the ballpark for, for thousands of people every night. And he goes about with a smile and he'll go get every piece of trash. And it's like he's on a mission. And you yep. look at him and it's like he's world class. And he's, he's, you know, the janitor, he's the trash guy at the games. If that's to be teachable, I think that's really challenging because not everyone has the dreams to be the best at what they do because it's not where they want to be, maybe. But if you can get people to embody that world class, you'll have a world class organization. Do you do you teach that at all to your people?
2: Yeah. That, I mean one of my favorite quotes, and I have a couple stories. There's another Friday forward one and I can give a links to it about a plumber who displayed that. But one of my favorite quotes is that how you do anything is is how you do everything. I think that it is Most of, back to that 1% rule, for most companies, it is not this lightning bolt thing that happened overnight that propelled them to success. It is just repeatedly doing the right things, doing it better. We partner with a lot of companies over the years, and so many of them don't do what they say they're going to do and not show up, do less than they promised. And that stuff really adds up. It adds up in the long run. And again, in terms of what kind of organization you're trying to build. I absolutely love it.
1: All right, finish up with the ninth inning here. Let's go with favorite part of your
2: morning routine, Robert. Favorite part of my morning routine is is actually just the morning routine. It's getting up early before my kids, doing some writing, doing some thinking, planning out the day, picking what I need to get done. It actually is that I created a morning routine and just get up earlier rather than jump up to the alarm. Everyone's running around eating breakfast. I really just enjoy that quiet planning time before everyone's awake.
1: So every day, do you, you plan your day on those three things that you want to do? Is that what you're saying?
2: Yeah. I mean, it's usually more than that, but I go through the process and I come up with this rule of three. Like what are the three things that I usually leave eight to 11 open in the morning because that's when a lot of people are better. And it's like, OK, what if I got these three things done and nothing else, it would be a great day. Wonderful.
1: All right. What about favorite way to unwind at the end of the day?
2: Favorite one, I, I try to get outside, go for a run, go for a walk, meditate. A lot of times I do a run plus podcast combination. So that's, I in theory would like to exercise earlier in the morning, but I just don't feel like I'm awake. And and a lot of times I've I've started to do some like late afternoon exercising and it's a good way to one-one. But for me, it's just air. I was reading an article of Dan Pink recently, just like what five minutes outside like does to your whole whole psyche? No, it's everything.
1: All right, this is a, a tough question for us entrepreneurs, especially you, who's reading a lot as well. But is there a book that you come back to? Not not one of your like books recently, but a book that you always come back to?
2: Well, there's two. I like going back to Think and Grow Rich a lot because there really are some Napoleon Hill's kind of classic books. There's some things in there that are really just timeless. And I have a – there's a new kind of essential version that came out, which has the highlights. And I always get something out of that. But I, the book I reference a lot to people is a book called Mistakes Were Made But Not By Me. And it is basically on cognitive dissonance. And I think that cognitive dissonance exists everywhere in our decision-making and our interactions. It's a really powerful force that causes – us and other people to make really poor decisions. And if you understand it, and you see it at work, it's really a huge benefit in terms of how you can handle a lot of these situations. And it was just that book was really fascinating on it. And it tends to be the one that I suggest to a lot of people that they that they haven't read or isn't in their kind of regular circle.
1: This is rapid fire, but how, how would you simplify cognitive distance?
2: common difference is when your brain is trying to reconcile two things. So like I said before, when you're trying to reconcile, hey, that Julie was a great employee, but is leaving me. So your brain can't reconcile the difference. So it has to either like Oh, Julie must be a bad person. That's why she's leaving. Or we tend to repeat a lot of mistakes because we don't want to believe that we would have made them. Well, I'm not. The best example is the people that follow these like end of the world predictions by these prophets, when the date is missed, most of the people and they go, oh, we messed it up and here's the new date. Rather than the people being like, this person's a scam artist, they double down and sort of believe twice as much in the new date because their brain doesn't want to admit that like, oh, I followed this charlatan or I got scammed, it actually like forces them to sort of even commit even more and hold on to that rather than being able to rationalize that they might have made a mistake in the first place. Okay. All right.
1: Now I'm getting it. See, Robert, you you were over my head for a little bit, but now I'm there. want to finish with our final four here. What's one magic moment that you remember? It could be from personal or a business world, one that really stands out for you. You know I'm a big moment guy. What will be one that's for you?
2: Hopefully we have more, but I... Through a bunch of circumstances that were all last minute, I ended up being at the super Bowl l i in the corner with my son and and his grandfather when the Patriots won the Super Bowl and kind of right in our quarter of a field after that comeback. So we were at the greatest Super Bowl game ever. We had sort of written it off after the first half he had we got a ticket last minute after I already had left. he had flown down on a plane by himself, meet me there, and it just had a complete Hollywood ending to it so I went again last year, and then the Patriots running again this year, and people want to go. I'm like, I'm just not sure I should mess with that memory at this point. I think I should just leave that leave that as it is.
1: I love it. You know, honestly, I grew up in Cituit, Mass, and I remember when the Patriots won the first Super Bowl. I was yeah. actually a senior in high school. It was two thousand one and or two thousand two, and literally it was an excused absence for everyone in our school to go to the parade. That's how big yeah. people don't understand sports in New England. I just remember all of my friends went to the parade because we were allowed to skip school to go to the Patriots parade. So
2: yeah, they they they, they did that. I think for the Red Sox one too. They just knew there was going to be no. Well, remember, that was the first one. And now now we have them like literally. There's a kid who you've probably seen it. It's a sign what he's like 16 years old and all the championship parades he's been been doing in 16 years. It was not like my childhood in Boston. It was just torture, my childhood in Boston.
1: You know, you and I were liked, hopefully, most through the show. Now that we're (laughs) from Massachusetts and we're sports fans, yeah, good luck. I think uh, people have now turned off, but good magic moment. All right, last few, Robert, here. What's one thing that you've done in your life to stand out?
2: I think I've I've taken risks like and I didn't do this earlier in my life. I think it was one of the things that held me back. I think I had entrepreneurial tendencies but didn't have sort of the risk profile. But in our industry, we kind of took some stands, really put 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 some thoughts out there that had not been shared anymore and said, Look, this is what we what we believe in and we think a lot of the stuff is is broken and look, it created a lot of waves, but ultimately I think it really differentiated ourselves. And when the market moved in our direction, there were people who pretended they had been there the whole time. And then there were people like us who had been saying the same thing for a while. So being willing to sort of put our neck out and go the opposite of the market is something I've always been willing to do in my business career. I love it. Speaking the same language. Uh, What's some advice that stands out for you? Advice that stands out for me is that if you're trying to be a leader that you really need to figure out who you are and just be authentically you. That a lot of people on their leadership journey, I think are creating a kind of patchwork quilt of different things they emulate, particularly when they're new on their leadership journey. And then eventually you realize like the best leader you could be, as we talked about at the beginning, is kind of you and say to people, look, this is me. This is what I value. If you want to come on this trip, like great. If you don't, then not. Right. I assume you don't want to hire people that are way too serious and don't want to dress up and don't like, there's other jobs (laughs) for them they are great. And for you to try to be something or act something that you're not to kind of attract people is is just short-sighted versus find the people that just love what you're doing and why you're doing it. That's been the biggest change for me in my own sort of leadership experience.
1: I love it. We just put out a a job application to get someone to work for us. We said, do not apply for this job. And we gave all the reasons on why they should not apply for the job. (laughs) And then it it was funny. it got a lot of big response. And then everyone who applies to us, they have to do a video cover letter because we have cameras everywhere. Then they have to do a fan's first essay on our core beliefs and then we ask for their future resume. We want to know what their plans are for the future because that fits into our core beliefs of growing and hungry. And so we get very few applicants because of it. And it's... uh, Yeah,
2: uh, all you want is... Look, all that does is cut the thousand to ten so you can just start talking to the ten. Now, what percentage of people are... Running the organization versus aren't there anymore in that resume? I'm always curious on that. <laughs> how many
1: people are what running what now?
2: No, when they write their future resume, are they with your organization or are they not with your organization?
1: Oh, you know what? I would say half are with and half are without, and it really that doesn't that doesn't bother me. That doesn't affect me. Yeah. It's like how big are they thinking? Are they thinking big with an organization? Or are they thinking they're going to stay at the same position for the next five years? Or if they're thinking they want to run something all over the world, that's great. We're going to help you get there. So yeah, that's what I look for. Finally, Robert, I love asking this question. Uh, How do you want to be remembered?
2: Uh, I want to be remembered as someone who helped improve the lives of others. I think it's really that that simple. Thank you.
1: Thank you. I think the reality is so many people want to want to do so many things, but you can keep it very simple. It makes it probably a lot less stressful to live your life when you just say, hey, I'm just trying to improve people's lives.
2: Yeah, that's why I write all this stuff. I like to figure out something that works better, like two weeks' notice, and then not keep it to myself. But the thing that would fill my bucket the most if you called me and said, Oh, I've implemented this program and it worked out great and it made everyone happier at my company. Like, that's what I love to see in terms of the impact of my ideas. Yeah, I love it. You
1: know, I wrote a piece, just the impact of one, and just one person saying how that means the world. So, Robert, I can't thank you enough for sharing so much today. I'll I'll tell you right, I'm going to do a prediction. October 1st, 2019, Elevate is going to be jumping on the New York Times bestselling list. You have created a huge following. The Friday Forward emails, subscribe to that. How else can people uh, learn what you're doing, Robert?
2: Sure. That'd be great. And I'd love your help in that. So so I'll reach out to you. That is my goal. Yeah, they can go to robertglazer.com. Actually, by the time this probably launches, my podcast will have moved over there, the new home of there too. So you can sign up for Friday Forward there, see the podcast or see a bunch of the articles and content that I've written. Awesome.
1: Thank you for the impact, man. We appreciate having you on the show.
2: All right. Thanks so much.
0: Thank you for listening to Business Done Differently with Jesse Cole, the Yellow Tux Guy. If you love the show, let Jesse know by leaving a review on iTunes or sending him an email at jesse at findyouryellowtux.com. For more information on the guests and topics of this episode, visit findyouryellowtux.com. Until next time, stop standing still, start standing out.